Welcome to the ICTA podcast, where we think together about unity and solidarity, or ICTA, on campus. In the ICTA podcast, we take time out to listen to students as they share their stories about what has made them feel powerful and powerless in their university journeys, and to hear their thoughts on practical steps that we can take to create more inclusive spaces at UFE. Let's learn differently together. ICTA. Welcome to ICTA. My name is Victoria Surtees and I'm UFV's internationalization specialist and your host. Uh, it's a rainy day here in the territory of the Stalo people, um, but I am still very grateful for the gifts of the rain and of course for the company of my two guests today, Bradley Nguyen and Billy Brown. So together we're going to be talking about what it's like to come to Canada as an international student in high school. And of course, as always, we'll be providing some strategies for faculty, staff, and students to support um, different international students. If you want to skip right to the highlights, just check the description below the podcast for a summary and some links to resources on the topics that we're going to discuss today. So Bradley, you're an international student in business focusing on human resources, but you actually came to BC from Vietnam when you were in grade 11, is that right? Yes, it is right. I came here when I was in grade 11 in 2016. 2016, okay. And Billy, you're a fourth year domestic student um, in art studying psychology. Yep, you betcha. Yes, but you have both been friends for a long time, right? Yep, since grade 12. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you both work in student life, and I hear that you also co-founded a dance club here at UFE. Yes, we did. Wow, what's that called? UFE Expression. Nice. Okay, so maybe we'll just start with you, Bradley. Can you tell us a little bit about how you came to study in BC and at UFE? So one of the main reasons why I decided to come to BC was um, after grade 12 in Vietnam, we have this national exam where you have to do it in order to get into good college or any college. And I was an anxious boss, so I didn't want to do that test. And when my sister said to me that, oh, you had the opportunity to come to Canada to study high school. And I was ecstatic for the opportunity. And like, yes, please, I would love to take part of that, this amazing opportunity. So if I understand, your sister was actually already here in Canada. Yes, she had been here in Canada at that time was eight years before I came to Canada. Okay, so that clarifies things. I think for many of our listeners, they're not really uh, aware of how, just how many um, of our international students actually do come in high school. So in the K-12 system right now in BC, we actually have, well, pre-pandemic, there were 24,000 international students in our K-12 system, um, which is pretty amazing, actually. Um, And right now at UFV, we have about 30 international students from Vietnam. Um, 18,000 Canada-wide, so it's the third largest sending country, actually. Um, And the Vietnamese diaspora here in BC is about 40,000. So a significant number um, Mm -hmm. of Vietnamese uh, people here contributing to our community. That is interesting to hear because um, when I was in high school, I did not see any Vietnamese students (laughs) there. So I, I... spend most of my time speaking English, perfecting my English. So again, not a complaint, just a flex. (laughs) Okay, 
Kelly, you're <laughs> laughing away here, and I can see that this is this is totally a, a Bradley typical moment. Oh yeah, <laughs> one of many. <laughs> so you've known Bradley for a long time. Can you tell us a little bit about that connection? Yeah, absolutely. So we met in grade twelve in our AP psychology class. We were actually reading outside, and he was complaining about the book that we're reading. Uh, typical Bradley. <laughs> and then we go into the next block, which was dance class, and he just told me that he always had a passion for it, but wasn't really able to do that back home. And then the day kind of went on, and then we had our extracurricular after school, which was leadership. And I'm like, what is this kid? Like, why do we have everything similar? Are we soulmates? <laughs> so ever since then, we became best friends. We spent, like, every single day together. We went to prom together. It was very cute. And then we came to UFV as a dream team. We started uh, the dance club, like you mentioned before. And then we actually applied for the same job without telling each other. <laughs> it's pretty great. All right. So... Let's just talk a little bit about, you know, UFE and the challenges, as well as the opportunities. So, you know, what were some of the challenges and frustrations um, that you had with our local education system? And then what were some of the great things? Um, that is an excellent question, um, because I feel like the frustration that I normally have with the school system here is the international tuitions. As many international students would have the same issue like I did, um, like I do, just because the international stu- tuition is three times more expensive more than domestic students. The tuition is so high, but international students only work up to 20 hours up campus. And for students such as myself, who had to take care of themselves um, and didn't receive much or any of support from their parents back home, working part-time, working multiple jobs just to make ends, it's definitely a frustration for me. Mm-hmm. And um, the small little things at UFV, for example, the semester reminder in every semester that you need to pay tuition two weeks until the tuition deadline, there's a reminder email, and that reminder might be like too late of a reminder. Mm-hmm. But again, the opportunity here is great where I learned a new culture, I meet new people, I make great friends, and I'm learning so much. So definitely a give and take, and yeah. So in our, in our amazing conversations, you chatted a lot about um, the freedom to be yourself here. Um, and what that's meant to you? Can you talk mm-hmm. about that a little? Absolutely, the freedom of my the freedom of being myself. Um, before coming here, prior to twenty sixteen, I was, I knew I was different from a very young age. But before coming here, I didn't have the freedom to express myself to actually be who I am. And being here, being in Canada, surrounded myself with supportive individuals, amazing friends, really encouraged me to be the version, the best version of who I am. And that version is freer in terms of sexuality, in terms of my the way that I dress, and that is a different person, a different Bradley compared to a Bradley when in 2016. Yeah, and I'm really proud of who I am right now because of all of the combined experience. And yeah. I think perhaps then I want to ask a really important question, and it's one that I try to ask all of the people that come on, on ICTA, and that's, um, tell me one time that you felt 
powerful and one time that you felt powerless? So for me, um, the moment of feeling powerless was very, very traumatizing. Um, it happened when I was um, having a, a argument with my family where the moment where I felt extremely disconnected from my culture where I sat there and realized at that moment how I come and how I'm so far away um, emotionally the physically is always there because I live in a different continent and my family live in a continent or my friends that I grew up with also from a different continent experience different things and because of COVID too like Canada experienced COVID in a very different way that Vietnam experiencing. And we cannot share because it's so traumatizing that talking about it just make everyone feel so down. So physically, we already, I'm already distant from my culture. And, and at that moment where I feel powerless, when I realize I'm emotionally also distant from my culture, where I realized how much whitewash, and I use that term in air code, um, how much whitewash I become. For example, all my friends that I knew in high school had never had the chance to really went to a outing with me where I take them to Asian cuisine such as bubble tea and like barbecue. Because of that, I was very, very isolated from everything. I was completely by myself at that moment, even though I was living with my sister, even though I hear my niece and nephew running around having fun and I love them to death, but I was highly isolated. I was, I didn't know who to talk to. I didn't have anyone and I I don't want to share my story because my white friends here didn't know what I going through, didn't know what my culture is like, didn't know what to expect. And I don't blame them because they're, they don't live there and they don't go through there. And my Vietnamese friend is also different because our background is very different where I'm from a very working family. So there are things they don't understand and, and from my culture, we don't share our feelings because it's more like if you tell everyone else about your story, about what you're going through, it's basically showing them your weakness. And I know that is such a wrong, it's just an inaccurate thing to say, but that was, I was taught, and I spent so much time to unlearn that. And that, like, when I felt powerless in UFE was when I completely isolated. And that was also, around COVID, the beginning of COVID. So just stress on top of stress. And, but, um, but I didn't give up. I was very hopeful because I told myself that now you're by, my, you're, you're by yourself. If you're not taking care of yourself, no one will. So you need to step it up. And I did. I, I adjust. I was like, yep, things are hard, but I can make it easy. Let's make it easy. Let's not focus on the hard. Let's focus on the easy. And I did. I adjust my plan. Um, I changed my bachelor to diploma to adjust my um, ca capacity to finish school and also find more jobs. And I find different people to talk to. I started to share my 
like deep down all the thoughts that I didn't want to share with my friends, such as Billy here. I start to find, yeah, sit them down, talk to them. I start to go to the UFV professional. And trusted counselor to talk to them, discuss about my situation, and one of them happened to be Vietnamese, who also sat there and listened to my story. And she didn't give me any advice. She was sitting there, knocking her head, and like I understand, because she went through all of that, and she was born in Vietnamese family. She didn't speak. She didn't really speak Vietnamese, but she speak English very well, as well as myself. Um, I would like to consider I speak. I have very good English, um, but yeah. And because we are in such a similar place where we we don't really communicate in Vietnamese very well, but we prefer to communicate in English. Um, so we just have a great conversation, and because of that, it show me that things are bad. Things are bad in order to get better, and I put. In the effort and put in, yeah, put in the effort to find the person, to find the people that I need to talk to, to find the things that I need to work on, and from that, UFV, the people in it, the community, really make me feel powerful again. Thank you. That's that's a really that's a really powerful story, and there's so many pieces of that um, that stick out to me. You know, the need the. The, the feeling um, that you needed to whitewash and I mean let's unpack that term a little bit and what that means um, that means hiding the parts of yourself of course that appear or sound um, different or Vietnamese and instead trying to assimilate and to adopt um, white ways of being speaking knowing and so I mean where do you feel like the pressure from that came to do that came from oh the pressure to do that came from everywhere Like internal, external, external. I cannot name top like from family, from society, from classroom rules, from like the way you dress, and like from everything. And like, and it's not like it's all bad. It make you fit in, make you better. But because I also think about why do I need to be better, and yeah, and why do I need to hide away? Why do I need to, like, they do not. Specifically, tell you to feel shame about your culture, but like the microaggression that I receive of the, oh, well you're you're pretty tough and Asian, for example, like that, and kind of like, huh, that is compliment for me. But why are you bringing down my culture? By why are you bringing down my people? I really blame that those microaggression really make me feel like oh I need to hide away a part of my culture I need to hide away my accent I need to hide away like the way I dress and all of that yeah so definitely very um, from external and also from internal growing up the media telling you that oh yeah the The whiter the better. The whiter your skin, the the wealthier you look. Kind of like that. And we were taught from a very young age that the complexion of your skin determine how you be treated and all of that. And it did take me a long time to unlearn that. Um, yeah. And then when I unlearned it, I found that I really need to connect with my culture. And I um, spend time to actually go out. Go to a little bit farther for mission to the city a little bit to actually sit down, have hot pot, have 
Asian food that I love. Bubble tea. Oh, yeah, the green one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> so, Billy, you've obviously been friends with uh, Bradley for a long time, and throughout this realization, did you, did you know all of this was going on for him? I didn't particularly know because I hadn't had the background that he has gone through and the adjustment. Like, there's no way of really understanding that unless you've been through it yourself, right? Um, I know there was this particular time in high school in our psychology class, like I mentioned before, and it was like cultural food day. So everybody could bring food that was part of like their ethnicity or something that they've made authentic. Um, And we brought in and Bradley's had like a very um, strong scent to it, like his Vietnamese food. And so many people were like, this is so different, like the, the scent is so strong. And it was kind of like stigmatizing in some way. And I would say that like it made it, like I could sense some discomfort within that conversation. And from then, he was like, well, before he was so proud to, like, talk about his food and his culture. And then from that moment, it was kind of like, oh, like, maybe I'll just kind of, like, put it to the side for a little bit. And I noticed that, and I was definitely aware of those feelings, but not to the extent to which it is. And then I remember, actually, pretty recently for Lunar New Year, there was this shift. He was telling me about how at UFE we didn't have a celebration for Lunar New Year, and it wasn't celebrated in the way that it should be. And I was trying to study, and he comes over, (laughs) and he tells me um, that he wishes that he was with his family on this, like, during this particular time, and that he wished that he could celebrate his culture a lot better. And I was like, well, just because you're here, like, that doesn't mean that you can't do that yourself. He's like, well, I have class. And he's like, should I go to class? <laughs> he's like, I could go and I could eat all of, like, the foods that I want to. I could go visit my sister. I could go teach, like, the ways of Lunar New Year to all my friends. And I'm like, yeah, class doesn't sound like that great right now. <laughs> you should get going. So sure enough, he gets us in his car and drives away. Um, and then the next day at work, he had made us um, all different types of, like, Vietnamese cuisine. And he told us all about Lunar New Year. He gave us um, Vietnamese money in these little envelopes and told us about kind of um, what it meant and uh, what we meant to him as well. So how we impacted his life and what like he liked about us and vice versa. And it was a very wholesome moment and I learned a lot more about him during that time than I have like our whole however long we've been friends. Yeah. It was very cool to see that shift from like grade 12 kind of trying to hide it compared to like owning it and being like no like I will be the change I'm gonna express it here mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's yeah that's an amazing that's an amazing shift and again what sticks out to me here is that there needed to be you know after so many so much time mm-hmm. um, receiving those messages that 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 um, your culture wasn't welcome that having someone reach out to you and say I want to know I want to know and please tell me um, really made a big difference very that and that big difference really is something that I need to get used to it's yeah for example the other day you were asking me to try to teach you one of the Vietnamese word and I'm still struggling until this day but I actually f- have a word if we, um, we we ended up trying to learn a new word I would love to show it to you um, yeah. Yeah, please mm-hmm. do share it. What's the word? So the word is zaden. 
Zaden. Yes, you did it perfect. <laughs> okay, Zaden. Well done. <laughs> yeah, it's Zaden. Zaden. Yes. Oh my God, perfect. Are you sure you're not in me? So that word means family. Yeah. Um. I was. I actually had a discussion with my brother, my biological brother who live in Vietnam. Before this meeting, I was. I was telling him the story where I was uncomfortable when I when I was asked to speak Vietnam with Vietnamese, and it's also. It's also make me ask why? Why did I uncomfortable when I was asked to speak Vietnamese, and now sitting here with you, who actually genuinely wanted to learn Vietnamese and want to know more about the culture, make me feel like it's their loss in the past. The people who did not want to learn about me, learn about my culture, know who I am. It's their loss. There's so much more beautiful things. Amazing human beings in Vietnam, rather than just politics. We are more than who run our country right now. And to be honest, if you ask me who is the prime minister in Vietnam right now, I would say my mom. And it's like <laughs> I have no idea who that is. Yeah. Right, and I remember in our conversation, you you said um, you know international students are not their country's politics, and that stood out to me as being a very powerful. A powerful, powerful statement, and I think that that leads perfectly into our our the last piece of our our podcast today, and that's to think about you know how can we um, what can we suggest to you know, the instructors, um, other students, uh, staff to you know what what can we suggest um, to help them connect better, to mm-hmm. learn more, and to be open in that way that you're that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I know Billy had a great idea, so I'm going to throw it to you first, Billy, because I found it so inspiring. Yeah, um, I said that in the beginning of the semester, through every class, there's always a syllabus pre- uh, presented, and with this, they always go over like the course outline all the exams, all the assignments, all the work that you're going to have to do. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and um, that is a really significant part in the student's um, entry to the class. So what I mean by this is that you can tell right off the hop what professor is going to care about the student's overall well-being compared to their academic well-being. Usually as soon as you walk into the classroom and then as soon as you hear their discussion of the syllabus. So what I mean is that when they go through the syllabus and they're talking about this outline, some of them will get to the resource page of like mental health resources, um, counseling supports, food bank inquiries, everything like that. And they'll just be like, oh, and like resources are on that page. But there's a big difference here compared to the professor that says, oh yeah, look over that in your own time versus the one that goes through it and makes sure that everybody's heard at that point. And this is really important because you're catering to a whole bunch of students in this with all different backgrounds, different needs, some have disabilities, and other components to that. So I think that is an important time to really go through and make sure that you're setting a stage where students feel comfy enough to talk about what they need and not just on the academic level. Yeah, and I think that's amazing. And of course, there's always international student resources on there. And in fact, just the fact that some of those resources exist is so different for many international students, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they probably will need to hear about them multiple times before they even feel a little bit confident to go and investigate them or check them out. Um, so I think, you know, sending that message and you were talking about, you know, the whitewashing and the fact that it's not always what's said, it's sometimes what's not said. 
Um, and in this case, that really seems like this could be uh, <laughs> this could be one of those times, one of those times when it's what's not said. Very true. Very true. Yeah. So yeah. how do you feel about that, uh, Bradley? Yeah. I yeah. What Billy said was amazing. I didn't even think about it prior <laughs> hearing her, but like that would definitely open the space for the student to feel more comfortable and definitely invite them to participate in the conversation. And definitely, I would recommend give the students some space. Like, get to know them rather than get to know the country. Don't make assumption. Again, it's we are not our country politics. So if you actually spend the time to get to know students, ask them what do you like the most about your country, and not, not only you learn from your student, but you learn a little bit about their country, about what makes their country beautiful, not immediately focus on something that is triggering for some of the students. For example, I know myself, like I don't, do not know anything about politics in Vietnam. So if you ask me that question, it make me feel kind of stupid, make me feel silly because I didn't even know what happened in my country. But again, everyone have their own different priorities. I know nothing about politics, so I'm digging a hole for myself right now. Right, so asking those open-ended questions of, to give opportunities to students to represent themselves in the way that they want in a positive way. 100%. Right, and, and I think we've also talked about the idea that, you know, it's not up to the student to create those moments. So um, are there some examples you can think of of instructors that have created those moments for you and how have they done it? Good question. One of the best, best, best moment that I have at U of V was one of what the professor that I had. It was more like a wrap up event for the class. It was like the end of the class where we didn't have exam or anything, but it was so cool where she pushed all the table down and she, she's not white, mm -hmm. but she um, entered the class with some high tea mm -hmm. and some like snack from like England. Um, which is I think is really cool and like we sat down and we have like we have to fold the towel fold the handkerchief just like from British and I feel like I learned a little bit of England culture but not only that she did save some space for students to come up I remember at that time we were listening to Punjabi music mm -hmm. and I was dancing to Punjabi music a little bit because we have a lot a lot a lot of international students who in that class and I remember that was my first semester there so definitely a great start for me at U of V um, not only that but we only we also had the opportunity to bring in our culture food mm -hmm. to share in class and basically to me what I remember from that night it's just like a group of friends not even classmate a group of friends get together with an, a, a very knowledgeable friends who happen to be your professor um, <laughs> and get together share our culture dance and even like I was seeing my professor dancing and that was just like oh my god I never seen a professor who dances with their student before and that was just amazing and she was trying to learn the Punjabi dance so that was something that's amazing like give the space for the student to represent themselves just as you said mm -hmm. um, and amazing things will happen you will end up learning so much thing and your student will feel so connected with not only Canada but the, the globe every the, the global citizens for sure 
These are such amazing stories, and I wish we could just keep talking and talking and talking, but I think we have to wrap it up. So, Bradley, Billy, thank you so much for sharing your stories with us, and uh, do let me know next time you're going to bring food into the office so that I can show up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and for our listeners today, thanks for coming out for a summary of our talk and links to some resources um, about how to implement some of the ideas that we've talked about today, uh, perhaps a few resources about uh, Vietnam. Check the description below the podcast, and if you have questions about today's episode or ideas for future episodes, do reach out to me. Uh, Again, my name is Victoria Surtees, and my email is victoria.surtees, S-U-R-T-E-E-S, at ufv.ca. And that's all for today. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you. Bye. ICTA is hosted by UFV's Teaching and Learning Center and sponsored by UFV International. Music by Saint Soldier. No matter how long it takes us, no matter how much this world breaks us, may we live here in peace. Live here as one from Bolivia to Greece, from India to Canada and everywhere between. Namaste to everyone I see. Namaste, I recognize that it's one. Namaste, and the suffering is done. Namaste. Namaste. Namaste.